The Future by Stefan Molyneux Chapter 38 I did not sleep very well. Usually a sign that someone was screwing with my self-interest. So I was a little bleary-eyed when Cornelius came in the next morning. You want to get some breakfast out? I blinked. I didn't think so. I'm not actually sure if I can roam around without an escort from the authorities or whatever. Cornelius smiled. Well, you don't have a contract presence here, so you couldn't really get anything done. You don't have a way of paying for anything. You don't actually have the right to use other people's private property, and of course, everything here is private property, sidewalks, roads, you name it. Wait, what? There's no public spaces at all? There is no public, no government, of course. It's a hell of a mindset to change over to, but for almost all of human history, we had slaves, but you were able to survive in a society without slavery, right? It's just another progression. So, how do I get around? You're my guest, like a tourist, on my contracts. I smiled suddenly. So, you are responsible for what I do? Liable? Cornelius nodded. But you won't do anything stupid. You have a big trial coming up. My elevated mood deflated. (sighs) I still don't know what the hell, what that means, really. And I don't even know what I'm to be charged with. I keep thinking about the Nuremberg trials, but I didn't run any damn genocides or invade half the world or... Ah, You're thinking of medical experimentation. I shrugged tightly. It was a pandemic. He paused, then also shrugged. The truth is, I don't know what you're going to be charged with. Then, obviously, I might not be charged at all. Cornelius pursed his lips and cocked his head. I wouldn't hold out for that. I don't know exactly what they're thinking is, but they will communicate me when they're ready. Anyway, I get tired if I end up more than 90 minutes between eating, so let's get moving. Cornelius signed my day pass at the front reception, and we walked out through the entrance. It was strange to me to look out the front of a building and not see any roads or driveways or parking spaces or cars. Everything seemed incomplete. I guess roads always get built before the buildings. It was like leaving some drug lord's helicopter hideout deep in the jungle. Must look a lot different, said Cornelius. I can't imagine. I'm torn between demanding that you explain everything and and trying to figure it out for myself. Well, these are good problems to have relative to dying 500 years ago. I was about to nod, but had a deep chill of foreboding, a sense that he might not be right at all. Cornelius said, I've called a cab. It will take a few minutes. Give me the (sighs) orbital view. That's what my Secretary of Defense used to say. All right, said Cornelius. We have some... Not exactly cities, but downtown areas where people like to live close to each other. (laughs) And the action, dancing, dating, that sort of young person stuff. Businesses are largely decentralized. People work virtually. Although that changes, it seems, every couple of years. Some genius comes along with the idea that working face-to-face is the way to go. So everyone bunches together. And then someone else is inspired by decentralization. So people scatter again. It's like this weird economic heartbeat. (laughs) People just can't make up their minds, I suppose. Oh, we love variety. That kind of explains it. 
Right now, we are in a decentralized phase, at least for work. People can get pretty much whatever they want to eat at home, but most people like to congregate socially, so restaurants are still very popular. People just love conversation. They compete for experiences, insights, mm, storytelling. Oh, the extreme sports people get a lot of attention. Some people like to go rough, primitive, without communications or backup. I guess that's another kind of heartbeat of the species. We're so sophisticated, so technological, that there is always this back-to-the-land, dirty fingernails, nature cult, naturalist movement. But their kids always seem to get itchy and come right back. Lots of experimentation. You can find just about anything here. There are even people who try to do the communist thing. I live in common, share everything, raise kids in a collective. But they are mostly ejected from the contract system because, well, there's a reason why the cataclysms also start with a C. I could tell that he was dropping a hint, seeing if I wanted to know more, but I most fervently did not. If I were given the choice between knowing about these cataclysms and going back to sleep, or even being thrown off a cliff... I would refuse the knowledge. As the white floating taxi came towards us, Cornelius said, It's a great life. Make no mistake. He took a deep breath and exhaled. (sighs) Mankind. Well, we never really knew what it was like to live in a sustainable system. There was always some looming disaster, environmental, nuclear, war as a whole, debt, unfunded liabilities, demographic disasters. I don't know how people did it, living on the knife edge their entire lives, not knowing how their children could live, or even if they would, charging from place to place around the world, escaping injustice and tyranny, begging for a few years of transitory and fading liberties. It was a burning zoo. Animals were trapped, went mad, ate each other and their own offspring. I prayed that Cornelius was simply speaking allegorically. I don't want to know about the cataclysms. He sighed. Oh, don't blame you. But you might have to learn, depending on the charges. The broad white taxi settled just above the ground, and I climbed into the white seating that looked like a white washed set of pews from a new church. It's quite religious. I said, we have a more religious society than you ever did, said Cornelius. I was curious, but he declined to elaborate, and I would not lower myself to ask. Cornelius spoke a name, destination, I suppose, and the sky taxi rose from the ground with an eerie and unsettling absence of sound and wind. I realized with a start that all my movement in my past life was loud, in a way. Cars, trains, airplanes in particular, even boats, with the slop of the waves and the thrum of the engine, the footsteps of my walking, the the, the slight sound of wind in my ear. But this mode of transport was perfectly silent. I was moving, and very fast as well, but everything was as quiet as if I were sitting in my cottage on a perfectly still day. Again, I declined to comment. I always hated looking like a tourist. Whenever I would visit some new location, I would demand that my staff school me on a variety of local details. The restaurant is a long way away 
said Cornelius, trying to settle his bulk on a pew. Because we need secrecy, I said. Cornelius tapped his forefinger to his temple. Smart man! I gestured at the flying pews. So you're saying this actually goes a lot faster? He smiled and nodded. What about your electronic devices? Cornelius laughed. (laughs) Sorry, not funny, but there's no manufacturer that would survive five minutes if they snooped. We're totally safe that way. So, this must be pretty serious. I don't... I'm good with words, but I genuinely don't know how to ask. I stared at him, refusing to prompt him. Cornelius said, What could they charge you with? I laughed openly, contemptuously. (laughs) How the hell am I supposed to know? Come on, I'm sure you read the pamphlet. So? My jaw tightened. This is all just a show trial. Scapegoating, 101. You need to justify your world so you attack mine, even though my world was the foundation for yours. I stood up, feeling slightly nauseous from the silent sliding of scenery going past. This is all total bull. The society that looks backward always crashes. Why are you so obsessed with my decisions in my world, with my standards, my laws from 500 years ago? You brought me back to life. Thank you, I suppose. But but, but for what? To parade me around as a a, a totem, a, a voodoo doll of past sins? You think I'm a slave owner, an evil man? Then why resurrect me? Jesus died for your sins. I guess you you brought me back to life so that I could be killed for mine. I prayed back in the day. I I don't know what you mean when you say that your society is more religious, but but, but I did pray on my knees every night, morning sometimes too. And, and, And then the guidance I've got, it seemed that I was on the right path, that I was I was using my power for good. Because sure as sunrise, all the other assholes who were trying to grab the ring would have done terrible things to the world. I know, I know. Now, you talk about these cataclysms and, and, and the relationship to my son, but it's not me. Go and dig him up and run your magic electricity through his heart and, and, and throw him on the funeral pyre of your hatred. I don't, I genuinely don't care at this point. You see, you seem like a good guy. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm glad to be here, though I hate the message. Well, what the hell am I supposed to do? I led a free nation. I, I didn't shoot or jail my political opponents. We had free speech, gun ownership, private property, a, a, a relatively functional court system. What the hell would you do if you had resurrected some tin-pot nose-ring dictator from Africa? <laughs> For some reason, I feel safe from being called a racist right now. But I was the most benevolent leader of the freest country in the world. And you're going to just throw me in some public cage and lash me with whips invented long after my death? This is beyond ridiculous. I'm not going to say that I really thought about what it was going to be like to wake up. I I was just trying to twist and turn from the Grim Reaper in those final weeks. Get everything sorted out before he got me. Things were pretty chaotic. And I guess I thought I would wake up in some Star Trek universe and give lectures about the past to be... My voice caught, which I hated because it betrayed self-pity. Respected. Valued. I mean, if George Washington had been shocked back to life, he would have been a miracle man. 
Yeah, the crazy sort of negative about slavery, but, but he would have headlined every political conference from here to eternity. It's not fair. I clamped down before the cowardly words escaped my throat. Cornelius looked at me placidly. I don't want to interrupt, he said. I tried to laugh. <laughs> I'm lost in time, standing sick on a floating church, c- confessing my sins to a priest of the new world. If you don't interrupt, I'll speak until the goddamn sun goes dark. He paused delicately. I find that when I am overpacked with words, bleeding them off helps. I paced back and forth. The floor was as solid as granite. What did I do wrong? By, by, by what standard? Render under Caesar? Did I bear false witness? Yes. Jesus is perfect. I am mortal. Did I... Kill? I paused. You started a war. I gave the word. But the word was not mine. I paused. Oh, security was so ingrained within me that it felt impossible to go on. You don't have clearance, I said finally. I don't want to remind you of Nuremberg, but the government falls, so does its security. After slavery, slave contracts are invalid. (laughs) I'm a Nazi and a slave owner? I said with giddy despair. I assume I can't just jump off this damn thing. Cornelius paused. My wife is a psychologist. She would be better at this... But I am making these comparisons so that you understand the magnitude of the moral changes. Think of how much became unacceptable in your own lifetime, how much the ethics changed, and what became acceptable. We are talking 500 years. Then how the hell can you judge me? We do not judge you. That is the essence of the law. I sat down heavily and put my head in my hands. Please, God, stop beating around the bush and tell me plain. We do not judge you, said Cornelius evenly. You judge yourself. If you think you are making anything clear, you are fired. Cornelius stood over me and placed his hand gently on my shoulder. We do not judge a man by any standard other than his own. The defense of insanity results from a man violating none of his own standards because he has lost his mind. You presided over the judgments of history in your country. Statues were torn down past men and women, castigated, cursed, and condemned. You went back centuries, dug up reputations, and eviscerated them in the public square. If you had been able to resurrect George Washington, as you say... He would have been chased through the streets with pitchforks. Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, all the founding fathers were all judged by contemporary standards and found to be evil. You presided over a culture that applied its current moral standards to people dead for centuries. You never opposed that. Am I to be judged by the general culture? The tenor of your time strikes me as highly individualistic. What is all this collectivist judgment? You made speeches in favor of this... Reckoning, you called it. You opposed to those who wanted to protect the historical statues. You lied about them, calling them racists. You spoke favorably of restitutions for slavery. I laughed harshly. <laughs> you want to know the truth? I pointed at his chest. 
you don't have these jackals running around in your society, smashing up everyone who disagrees with them, the lunatics with barrels of ink and the biggest megaphones on the planet. I had to get elected. That was my job. And we're only alive because this stupid floating pew box is doing its job. And yes, there were things that you had to say in order to get elected. I guess in this Ken and Barbie perfect world, you don't have to make those kinds of compromises, but I did. I jumped up, waving my hands in exasperation. Someone is going to be in charge. Yes, it was me, and I made moral consequences to get there, if you like. But you are judging me while living on this surreal floating cruise ship while I'm trying to survive a storm in a schooner, having to throw things overboard, and you just call me wasteful and incompetent? Let's try a little experiment in our minds. Imagine you come back with me, reverse time, 500 years. No, more, when I was campaigning. And you tell me what I should do. Are you going to tell me to tell the truth about everything? What does that even mean? And we had some of those people, God help them, they burrowed up to the stratosphere on social media. Yeah, they told the truth. We told them to have honest conversations about controversial issues. And they took the bait and tried to. And they got nuked from the social landscape. And they brought up the science of sex differences and got destroyed. Imagine trying to talk about the national debt and the need to pay it off in a debate. The topic was never even raised. It would be unthinkable. You would just tell me to, what, speak the truth, get hounded out of public life, let the liars take over? Bring me to your world? I look wrong, incompetent, immoral, I suppose. But if you were to come to my world, you would be ineffectual, ridiculous, suicidal. Cornelia said, the war. My nausea grew. Everyone looks at the president like he bestrides the world, a colossus. But I'm just a guy with people whispering in my ear. Everyone votes for me, but they're not voting for me. They're voting for my advisors. And yes, I can see it. You say I am responsible for choosing my advisors, but I'm not a god. I'm not omniscient. How the hell am I supposed to choose the right advisors? My science advisor? I'm not a scientist. I'm not an economist, not a doctor, not a military man. I frankly had no idea half the time what the hell people were talking about. And by God, you better never tell anyone this. I nodded a lot. I, 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 I pretended to take notes. Just doodles, really, sometimes. Oh, Mr. President, we need you in the Situation Room, DEFCON 3, sit rep, post haste. And the military men say, fight. And the diplomats say, talk. And the economists say spend, and the academics say fund, and no one, no man alive, no soul with a voice can ever say what a farce it is. I was told there had been a chemical attack. What the hell was I supposed to do? Go out with my grade nine science kit and scan the soil? Oh, Mr. President, there are weapons of mass destruction. The leftist guerrillas are about to take over. The terrorists are at the wedding. Oh, he's about to invade Kuwait. The Russians fired on the destroyer. And you nod. Because everyone needs a f figurehead to, to justify their own crap, their own 
greed to their own. Covered my face with my hands, breathing deeply. It is not that you invaded a country, said Cornelius gently. That can be survived. The question is, did you accept that standard for other countries? Could other countries claim a chemical attack and use it as a justification to invade? If not, if you opposed that, then you will be found guilty by your own standards. Where the hell am I? I whispered. Cornelius' eyes were gentle and sad. In the clouds, after your resurrection, in a pew, being judged, I'm afraid. I truly do not understand what is happening. It's this strange brain magic voodoo you've got going on. I was subject to the law I imposed. I paid my taxes and did not speed and never strangled a hobo. Why are you trying to trip me up with words? It's the afterlife, a strange statistic web of words, a maze that leads nowhere except to self-abuse. I truly hated those last two words and scrambled for something else to say, to, to bury them, to cover them up, and nothing came into my mind. I closed my eyes, but the flowing clouds still blew past. The history of morality is both very complex and very simple, said Cornelius. Simply put, morality was invented by the rulers to control the masses. If everyone is a thief, there is nothing to steal. The best thieves convince other people that stealing is wrong. Not because the thief believes that stealing is wrong, of course, but because he wants to reduce his competition. I never stole a thing in my life. And don't get me started on elections. None of that was ever proven in a court of law. Well... The courts in your day refused to hear the evidence, so I'm not sure how much that means. But I'm not here to litigate centuries-old elections, but rather to explain to you the moral standard that you will be judged by. I stood tall. I'm happy to be examined. Cornelius smiled, and I could see the thought scrolling across his eyes. Everyone says that at the beginning. Is morality universal? I shrugged. It depends how you define it. Obviously not, if it's cultural beliefs. But there are many cultural beliefs that have nothing to do with morality. Dance and music, for instance. Are you a religious man? I nodded. Even more so now that I'm floating through the clouds talking about ethics. Cornelius smiled. Charismatic. Again. I could read his thoughts, his unspoken thoughts, to the end. Jesus expanded tribal morality to universality. His rules applied to Christians and non-Christians alike. You are a Christian? I am, although flawed, of course. Thou shalt not steal is a universal commandment, also with murder. These are not mere cultural beliefs, correct? I nodded. I was actually strangely enjoying this. Are rulers exempt from universal morality? I hesitated, feeling a wobble in the shore footing below me. No. But you were. 
How so? Presidents have often been held to account. Cornelius paused delicately. You understand that I am simply explaining the legal and moral framework you will be subjected to. These are not all necessarily my own opinions or arguments. Devil's advocate, of course. One moment, said Cornelius, as the sky pews dipped. I could only tell from the surrounding scenery, since there was no sense of actual motion. A low brown building, constructed entirely of wood, rested impossibly on the very tips of the top branches of a giant tree. This place is great, said Cornelius, stepping to the railing. If you have to be resurrected for Judgment Day, at least you get a fantastic meal. Not a last one, I hope, I muttered. We stepped off the taxi onto a spiderweb of tiny twigs, the path leading to the entrance. Swallowing, I stepped forward. I knew I would not fall, but my senses screamed otherwise. An old woman with high cheekbones and white hair greeted us. Cornelius! she exclaimed warmly, before casting a curious glance at me. Her eyes chilled, and she nodded perfunctorily. Mr. President, she said. Cornelius said, This is Mavis. She used to be an engineer. She has retired and graced the world with this place. Mavis smiled. (laughs) Running a restaurant is more work than engineering, so I wouldn't exactly say that I have retired. Cornelius nodded energetically. I stand corrected. She touched his cheek in a strangely intimate gesture. You would say anything to get a meal. I continue to stand corrected. Well, come in, said Mavis, leading us into the restaurant. The spiderweb of twigs continued, and the chairs and tables all seemed to have been grown from the tops of the branches of the tree below. It felt strangely like being a baby tree in the wood-veined womb of its mother. She uses human service. I thought it would be more recognizable to you. Mavis shook her head. Not anymore. My daughter got married. My son got lost in VR. We are back to machines, I'm afraid. Can you set them to human? Of course. Mavis disappeared behind a thick hedge to our right. Cornelius and I sat on tree stumps on either end of a giant, flat, mottled grey mushroom. You won't believe this, said Cornelius. Dazed, I once again wondered if I had gone mad, and all of this was my brain dying in mortal ecstasy. I am not sure I believe any of it. (laughs) Understandable. A young woman, who faintly reminded me of the bored attendant at the petting zoo, walked up to our mushroom table. She opened a silver case, and inside were two small pieces of paper. Please tell me this isn't lunch, I said. Where's the menu? You are the menu, replied Cornelius with a smile. He picked up one of the pieces of paper and touched it to his tongue. It chirped happily. I did the same. There was a slight contraction on my tongue, and I suddenly remembered shrimp chips from a local Thai restaurant gripping my tongue, buried under centuries. The woman said, This analyzes your tongue, figures out which flavors would most please you, and that's what we make. I snorted, putting the paper back in the silver box. So, I just get perfectly flavored goo? The waitress cocked her head. No, texture is an essential part of culinary enjoyment. She glanced at the paper. Hmm, Shrimp chips to start. I blinked, then stared at Cornelius accusingly. I thought you said I had privacy. Are they reading my mind? 
Oh, no. It measures saliva, and you probably thought of shrimp chips. It's all very specific, all very technical, but who cares? It's divine. Heavenly, I muttered bitterly. If this place is so, such paradise, why are we alone? For privacy, said Cornelius simply. Hundreds of millions of people are rapidly curious to see you. I reserved the place. I laughed. <laughs> it's still strange being in places without security, without the secret service. Cornelius nodded, saying nothing. The belly of the waitress started to make a slight grinding sound, but Cornelius held up his hand. No, no, no. Full human, please. The grinding stopped, and she walked back behind the giant hedge. A cloud of brightly colored birds suddenly blew up and sat in the maze of twigs overhead. They chirped with gentle musicality. When my daughter was young, I said, staring around, she would go on and on about the kind of restaurant she would make when she grew up. It had jungles and (laughs) playgrounds. And I remember she would tell me all about the birds that would be in the restaurant. And I told her that she couldn't have birds there because they were just poop all over the customers and the food. He stared at me. You're wondering if these are real? I nodded slowly. I think I'm having trouble knowing what the word means. What was that sound coming from the waitress? Cornelia smiled. Oh, she can make the food in her belly. It comes out on tiny jetpacks. If you order spaghetti, it can spell out your name. Kids love it. But I asked her to go full human, which means that she pretends that the food is being prepared in the kitchen and comes out with it on plates. I scowled. Oh, my actual God. This is all so decadent. I was still continually disoriented by everyone's complete lack of offense. I was an expert at milking and mining human volatility, but no one here was volatile. I felt like an amateur troll on an advanced self-knowledge forum. Cornelius said nothing. I glanced up, the bright birds, preening and chirping and occasionally pecking each other. They had pooped but some invisible shield kept it from falling. I said, This is the restaurant my daughter dreamed of, and I'm getting shrimp chips. Is this a simulation? Cornelia said, Would that make me Morpheus? Ah, I remember my eldest son, the, the drip, demanding that I watch some movie about a bad actor who wakes up in some kind of simulated reality. I only remembered it because he never demanded anything. I think I fell asleep. It's not a simulation, said Cornelius. We all have so much in common. What your daughter dreamed of is not unusual. The real simulation came from your world, from the media and what you called education. The fantasy that we were all so different, so opposed, that we must fight like dogs for the amusement of... Whoever. The waitress brought our food on wide, steaming china plates. She looked apologetically at Cornelius. I can't go completely old-fashioned. We still needed the dividers. I looked at my food. It was a mix of Indian and Mexican, with some spinach and cheese cubes and peas. Each flavor was divided by a tiny, invisible space, as if a knife had slashed between them and the gap had been frozen in time. 
I'm so sorry. Do you want some wine? Asked Cornelius. I paused. Cornelius said, I apologize. I don't drink. But you should feel free to if you want. You're just trying to take advantage of me, I replied. Cornelius laughed. (laughs) Just water then. Using a golden fork, I took a bite from the spinach. Oh, my God. It was like my tongue had come alive in all dimensions, with all flavors. Anticipating my reaction, Cornelius handed me a napkin, which I used to wipe the excess of saliva that greeted the incredible tastes. Don't talk, just eat, he said, as if I had any practical choice at the moment. After the meal, which, needless to say, left me perfectly satisfied, Cornelius crossed his heavy legs. Normally we'd go for a sunset skywalk, but you've had quite a lot of sensations today, and you should probably just sit. I nodded. Cornelius said, How is your sanity? He tapped his temple. Are you doing all right? I suddenly felt a sting of tears deep in my brain. I took a harsh breath, willing them away. The desert sun of my dry self-regard burned them away immediately. Well, Professor, I'm well enough to return to our undergraduate philosophy 101 course, since I am apparently to be judged by academics who never held political power. I could see that he was about to correct me, something about being judged by myself, but restrained himself. Eventually he said, You were not subject to the laws of your time. I snorted. (laughs) Why not? Because you could create laws, effectively, through executive orders or through Congress, which citizens, of course, were unable to do. Citizens created laws by voting in politicians. I'm sure you're aware of this, so I'm equally sure you have an answer. Could citizens impose taxes? Could citizens start wars, draft soldiers, create currency, fix interest rates, sign intergenerational contracts, manage trade? force children to learn their own particular ideology? Yes, I said evenly. My God, how much knowledge was lost during the disastrous? Citizens could do all of those things through their elected representatives. Cornelius nodded slowly. I continued. And it's the same here. You have these, what, DROs that act on behalf of their customers? You don't have duels. You don't have pistols at dawn. Everyone calls up their representatives who act on their behalf and resolve their disputes. It was the same with us. Not much has changed, except I can now dine in my dead daughter's dream. Again, Cornelius said nothing. I felt the usual impulse to jump up and pace, an old habit that gave me a height advantage. But I knew I would be too distracted by the uncertain spider webs of the floor twigs and the plunging green canopy below. And maybe everyone here has become perfect. Maybe you are all angels who never cross each other, but I had to work with very different clay. I inherited a mess. Let's be frank, it's all behind us now. We couldn't possibly pay our bills. We had like $200 trillion in unfunded liabilities. We had four generations of poor people who had never known work. We had all these lunatics of the educational system who wanted to inflict creepy sex education on toddlers, but had no idea how a bill became a law. Broken people were flowing off the conveyor belt of a mad history faster than we could fix them, faster than we could even catch them. Everyone begged for instant solutions, looked to me to solve everything. They were like 
I gestured at the startled birds above me. They were like baby birds, mouths always agape, screaming and cheeping for more and more and more. All we could do was aim them at the rich, pound the table and yell about unfairness. They weren't open to reason. They didn't want the truth. They'd been inoculated against it. They reacted to facts like a lion had been loosed in a nursery. They were children. They never wanted to grow up. They, they never wanted any limitations. Oh, and they never, never could be called on to sacrifice anything for anyone. My God, in the past, men would volunteer to bleed to death in a jungle, but in my day, you couldn't get anyone to give up anything for any reason. You think I was in charge? My voice was rising despite myself. We were all just being chased around by the headless. I was panting. I had so many words, so many more words, but I had to bite them back. My old habits stalled my tongue. Cornelius nodded slowly. You claim to be a victim. I sighed, my breath trembling. No, of course not. But try being a doctor in a world where everyone believes that bad thoughts cause disease. Or... Try being a doctor in a time of plague when everyone believes that the cure is causing the illness. You're coming at them with a pill that will make them well. They react like you're leaping at them with a knife. Cornelius waved his hand. All of this is narrative, which is impossible to verify. What the hell do you mean? This is my experience. He shrugged. How do I know? Everyone who is part of an immoral regime claims the best possible intentions, blames the environment, argues that they were doing the best they could, that someone else would have been even worse. That's very predictable, I'm afraid to say. Your individuality does not lie in your defenses. No one's does. I don't know what you mean. You are aware of the crime of counterfeiting, said Cornelius suddenly. Of course. Define it. I'm not a... You mean then or now? His eyes had grown cold. Don't play dumb. Of course I'm not asking you to define counterfeiting in the present. You only got a damn pamphlet. I decided to remain silent about his ill temper, like it was beneath my notice. Counterfeiting is when you create money. Oh, this is some Federal Reserve thing. That was a private corporation, not the government. Who gave them a monopoly? I let my temper slip slightly. As I have told you, I said with exaggerated patience. The voters did. Stop lying to me. Is it too late to change lawyers? You won't get away with this stuff here. I'm not one of your media lapdogs. You have a fine mind. Try using it for clarity. You ask me questions. I answer them. I thought this was some big magical anti-abuse paradise. Your government had the power to create money out of thin air by typing whatever it wanted into its own bank accounts. You then handed out this valuable new money to your friends, your allies, those in the top tiers of the financial industry. And then, by the time it trickled down to the poor, it was worth much less. If anyone not in the government had tried such a scheme, they would have gone to jail for fraud. No, I'm not finished. You took massive chunks of people's incomes, promising to pay it back in old age pensions, and then immediately spent all the money putting empty IOUs in the vault and taxing the next generation to pay for the retirements of the wealthiest generation the world had ever seen to date. You paid women to have children out of wedlock, knowing that those women would invite strange men into their houses, into their beds, who would abuse the children. You attacked truth-tellers, slandered your enemies, usually the friends of truth, 
you dropped over 100,000 bombs in foreign countries and started a war on false pretenses that killed over half a million people and led to the genetic destruction of entire regions through your depleted uranium weapons. You doubled the national debt, presided over a collapse in school standards and educational achievements, and milked a pandemic for mad power. And you say, wait... You say that you were a victim of the mindless masses, that you did the best you could with the knowledge you had, that someone else would have been even worse, and that the people chose this. Your government indoctrinated the children for 12 straight years, bribed half the population into abject dependence, presided over the collapse of the nuclear family, only granted interviews to friendly, subservient media outlets, and you raised a son who started the end of the world as we knew it, my heart was pounding. I showed nothing. Cornelius took a deep drink of clear water. His voice returned to normal. Now, those are some pretty bad accusations. Probably the tip of the iceberg. But you're going to need a little bit more than a victim narrative to overcome them. Your administration prosecuted counterfeiters. Your administration prosecuted those running Ponzi schemes. Yet your power relied on the money printing of the Federal Reserve. Social Security, your retirement benefits, was an insult to Ponzi schemes, because at least Ponzi schemes are voluntary, while yours was enforced on hundreds of millions of people. I stared at him. I said nothing. Felt nothing. Showed nothing. I exhaled slowly. <sighs> you, <laughs> they, have nothing. Cornelius pursed his lips in surprise. Do tell. <laughs> Let us say that I personally propagandized hundreds of millions of children that I have that magical power. Well, I was raised in the same system. I was told the same Lies, as you call them. I was infused with the same moral hypocrisy, as you say. If the voters are not responsible because they were in the system, they were raised by the system, they were lied to by the system, well, you cannot extract me from the system as if I were above it or, or outside. I was as much a part of the system and raised by the system as everyone else. <laughs> you might have a whole bunch of new words here. I'm sure you do. It would be impossible to be otherwise. But I can't be blamed for not knowing these words because they didn't exist in my time in the past. I spread my palms wide. It took 500 years to arrive at the modern world, this world of deeper moral understanding. It took these unimaginable sufferings, these cataclysms, for mankind to learn better. I leaned forward, lowering my voice. Are you seriously going to sit there and castigate me, blame me, for failing to compress the deaths of billions and the suffering of half a millennia into my own harried and overworked lifespan. A few hundred years back from my day, doctors didn't even know that human blood circulated around the body. Would you throw a medieval physician in jail for failing to prescribe antibiotics? My voice lowered to a whisper. And let us say... A few hundred years in the future, some moral principles you hold sacred and universal turn out to be false. 
Let us say that these robots that birth food from their bellies and keep you all alive, that they turn out to have free will and morality, and you are not wise, peaceful and gentle souls who preside over mere machines, but slave owners whipping metal boxes with soft code. Will you smoke your cigarettes and go to the firing squads with the acceptance of justice in your hearts? Or will you ask for reasonable accommodation for the simple basic fact that you do not know what you do not know? Cornelius was leaning forward, his eyes wide. There was a frozen, timeless moment. And then he leaned his head back and laughed uproariously. <laughs> oh, my heavens. <laughs> you are fantastic, he gasped. <laughs> oh, such language, such passion, such conviction. <laughs> oh, I have half a millennia's worth of inoculation against this virus. Oh, but it is so powerful. This is why we cannot have governments be... <laughs> Because you climb up the statues and change the world with words. Oh. <laughs> but it's all nonsense. What you say, though, maybe you believe it, I don't know, it doesn't matter. You prosecuted people for doing what you did. He raised his hand, my turn now. Morality is not open to a vote any more than physics is. Two rapists and a woman alone in the woods can hold a vote on rape. But the majority victory doesn't make rape moral. You knew that counterfeiting was wrong. You knew that Ponzi schemes were wrong. And you would never have accepted the validity of another country's invasion because they claimed some chemical attack on American soil. You did what you defined as evil. And yes, I get that there was a massive structure and edifice of justifications and lies and obfuscations. But that is exactly what we would expect from such an empire, from those who ruled it. You knew the history of slavery and all the justifications for it, which all flew in the face of all men are created equal. Complication is a sure sign of a bad conscience. No private citizen could create a contract on behalf of another but you could borrow endlessly against the hard work of the next generation. His smile faded, but remained slightly. Now, I don't know what they are going to charge you with. We will find out in a day or two. But we are going to have to work like hell on better responses, because my democracy and my victimhood are not going to cut it, not even slightly. I nodded. I have the right to confront my accusers. That is certainly the case. That may be a limitation. Everyone is dead, as far as I know. But your primary accuser is your own actions. I assume I cannot be compelled to testify against myself. Your deeds will be the primary witness for the prosecution. I paused. And my... The propaganda I was subjected to what is the exculpatory nature of that? Was it enough at Nuremberg? 
The tree trembled in the wind, and the birds shot into the sky. <laughs> 